In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we offer you this time, this conversation. Please bless those who listen to our podcast and those who don't. Let all we do think and say be for your glory. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the, beginning, the beginning, is now, is and now. ever shall, shall be. be. World, World without, without end. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. You know what's cool? Is, uh, Many things. A lot of things are cool, but getting out of the house and going for a long bike ride mm. um, after being kind of shut in and writing talks and homilies and things makes you feel a lot better. I was praying this morning and I, it was just one of those funky holy hours where I feel like it was productive, but just a lot of battle and sadness um, bordering on despair, desolation kind of stuff. And I feel like a lot of it's human. You just get out and get some fresh air. It was windy as crud on the lake today. We had a challenging ride. I don't know if you know this, but Chicago is known as the um, second city. <laughs> and it's kind of windy too. But it was just like, oh, man, so good to get outside and get the blood pumping in the legs. And now it feels like a brand new day. We've got the 7 o'clock mass coming up. The Bears are going to beat the Packers. We're doing it, man. I literally don't care if the Bears beat the Packers or not. Although, the Packers are definitely going to beat the Bears, obviously. Well, to be honest, I agree with you there. <laughs> Bye, yeah, guys. dude, I, I've, I, have definitely, I have definitely had that experience. I mean, especially being back up at school. Um, but even times over the summer where I, was, I would be preparing to write a homily and really, really struggling with it, like the brain... Is just kind of mush, mm-hmm. and then I'd hop up and go on a run, and boom, like sit back down, and yeah, things just start clicking loose. and pumping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's. It, I went out for a run this morning as well. Santa Maria del Popolo, a neighbor to Mundelein Seminary, hosted a 5K fun run and walk. Did you do it? You, you ran the 5K. Ran the 5K this morning. Did yeah, you win? nice man. I got second place. Wow. <laughs> Holy did you smokes. did you win your age group at least? I won my age group. Nice. Yeah, um, but I mean, it was not. Who beat you? Don't even tell me. It was a fifty-year-old guy beat you. Yeah, actually, probably. <laughs> well, he, he beat you by so much was. you don't even know who it was. No, I know who he was. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how old he was though. Okay. I bet he was over fifty though. Mm-hmm. Those guys always win the five Ks. <clears throat> Yeah, I just kept saying like, "Oh yeah, I'm not a short distance guy. 5K, like, pff, it's too short for me. I'm more of a, I'm, I'm a marathon guy." <laughs> more. Oh yeah, you're doing the. Isn't the marathon in three, four yeah, weeks? Yeah, it's in October. Yeah, yeah. So I've what, been training. What, what time are you hoping for at the marathon? Do you have like a goal? Dude, I don't know. I had an initial time, and I'm trying to be realistic, but also, well, I'm trying to be realistic because I, I want to. I'm going to do my best. So initially, I wanted to just run it under four hours, 
which would be like right at a nine minute mile pace nice. for, for 26 miles. And then I just been running a lot. Um, and like part of the way that you train for marathons is you obviously need to run multiple times during the week, but then you generally do like two shorter runs or mid distance runs. And then you have one really long one that you, your body builds up stamina and it's essentially like beating up your body to toughen it so that it can take the full brunt of 26 miles. Mm-hmm. So I would do like a five, a 13 or a 14, and then a, like a five miler or a six miler in one week. Um, Wait, and, say, say those numbers again. Um, you, you do a, the six mile would be like the short. Is that what's a middle distance? Yeah, that would be like a five miler. Okay. Yeah, and it it kind of changes the more that you're running. So like today's was very short, but I I ran really hard because I knew it was short. So to still try to get a cardio deal. Mm-hmm. Um. So like that that mile time will be much less obviously than the marathon mile time that I'm pacing myself for. What was your so mile time? It would at the be 5K? like a. What's that? What was your mar- mile time at the five k? It's not important. Yeah. Dude. Well, it is. Okay. No. So look, I did, it would be like five miles. And then, so let's see, on Thursday, I ran 16 miles, which is the longest I've ever run. Wow. And, yeah. and then today I ran a, a, the 5k today. Um, and that's a pretty short run. So it's weird. Like the more that you train, dude, it is so weird training for a marathon. I've never, it's horrifically painful. <laughs> that's like, that's the best way I can describe it as of now. Um, your body is, it hurts a lot. And then you just keep running. Like I felt like Forrest Gump. Like I, I felt like an idiot. My body was screaming like you are in so much pain. You need to stop running. And then I would just kind of acknowledge it and then just keep going. Hmm. Just running through the pain. Um, but it also feels really good. Like you finish a big long run like that and. I mean, your body aches a little bit, but I within a day I was over it. I was out running like the next day, so so I am getting faster. Is the thing I'm surprised at how fast I'm getting faster. Hmm. And so initially I wanted to run under four, but I'm clocking something like just over eight minute miles now. So like the 16 mile one that I did. I ran it in just over two hours. So it was like an eight ten. Wow, a two hour run that would beat my knees. Mile pace. Your joints yeah, aren't hurting you. I mean, they get tough. Like I know. I can't believe it, dude. I don't understand. You're an athlete, dude. You, you annoy me. <laughs> well, any dude, anybody can. Well, I don't know about anybody, but a lot of people run marathons. Yeah, that's true. It just takes a lot of training. But they're athletes. Yeah, that's they're, true. Are you yeah. gonna make the Olympics? That's a good you question. You know what? That's so. That's what I'm shooting for now. I think I'm gonna try to get sub two thirty. Is that what the Olympic <laughs> that what guys it would do? Take? Okay. I don't know. It would be insane, though. Wow. I I know Sister Steph. She's trying to get like I think it's sub two fifty or something oh, like that. Jeez. Or like right at two fifty, something like that. Which, gosh, I mean, you clock it. It's like seven. Have you ever run with her? No. <laughs> she, she's just insane, huh? She's in, dude. It's unbelievable. She sprints. She just sprints for like ten mile runs. Oh gosh, it's yeah, it's incredible. The, those folks are incredible. Yeah. But 
So I'm going to keep running. So I'm going to do an 18 this week, I think, and then a 20 the week after. And then that will be like the biggest one Mm -hmm. that I do. But dude, honestly, it was something that you said from the Hacksaw Ridge movie um, that oftentimes runs through my head is I'll just wear a hat and the hat, it does a great job of keeping sweat from dripping into your eyes, which is super important. So you're not blind by your own sweat while you're running, which hurts like crazy. But the hat, it also acts as like a type of a blinder. And so I'll just put my head down and stare at my feet and just, and just run like legitimately say like, okay, one more step, doop, doop, just kind of watch like, okay, what's this next step? And just as simple as that, because um, when you start to look at these big runs, yeah, like it can psych you out big time. And so the whole thing is trying to figure out like, okay, one more mile. Okay, one more mile. One more mile. One more step. One more step. Oh, man. Well, yeah. to be honest with you, that's what my holy hour desolation was. was. At the end of it, finally, I realized, oh, yeah, that old thing where the devil takes possession of your past and your future and uh, brings up mm-hmm. old stuff to haunt you and promises you misery in the future and god lives in the present moment and so much of all of life priesthood suffering it's like i can do this i can do this today i can do what i'm supposed to do today Mm -hmm. um but it's a moment that you start taking in the whole thing and being like oh i gotta do this for 60 years or i gotta run 26 miles you gotta just do it one at a time yeah, that is very, very true. And it's it's interesting, Rob, I don't know if you remember the conversation that I had with with Bishop Paprocki at your ordination party. I saw <laughs> him today, actually. Also an okay. athlete. Dude, yeah. tell him his advice rings through my ears very often. Very really? simple advice. But uh, I don't know if you remember what he said about the, the marathon, because I just said like 26 miles is such a looming. It's just like it's so massive. It's it's debilitating. It's so big, you know, when you think about like trying to run that far. And he said that, you know, it's a part of training as well as it's psychological. Mm-hmm. And so you, you train your body obviously to take the beating of a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. But the thing is when I, when I went to run the 16 miler, I thought, Oh, I, I ran a 14 miler. I can just do two more miles. I know that. And then like when I go to run the 18, I, I, I'm going to know I can do it because like I did a 16 miler. I can do an 18. Mm, I just got to, I just got to get in that, in that groove. And then it also has helped me looking forward to the future. So it's like running in the present has helped me to know that I actually can do it because I've done it. So my memory is filled with like success and being able to say, yeah, I've proven that this is possible, Mm. which also helps me to look forward to say, okay, I can, I think I can do 26 miles. But it only works if you're actually just taking those little steps. And so in some way, like living in the actual training, um, yeah, has helped bring my memory of already doing big runs to help me in like my current run. And it's also helping me to look forward to the future and say like, yeah, I actually can accomplish this and not just accomplish it, but probably do it really well. And so it, it helps me train even better and like more diligently and with my whole heart and soul. Cause it's like, I don't want to just finish. Uh, that was a great, I know I'll, that's a great accomplishment, but I know I can do it. I've seen myself do it. And because I I've seen it, 
and I'm doing it now, I know I can kick some butt in the marathon too. Yeah. Um, so I, I talked to your bishop so briefly, but those words have just kind of helped me stay in it and also helped me to see how my running is actually, it's been helpful and that I need to stay consistent with it. And it's, it's been effective training essentially. Yeah. He's the man. He is the man. Gosh. Gosh. It, it was so good to see him today. He came down for his pastoral visit. It was awesome. Just a good, good man, good bishop. But so uh, he, he visited you in, in the parish. Yeah, yeah. He does these because uh, we had our diocesan synod that just finished up, um, like you know, within within a year. And so now it's just like parishes are trying to implement it and all this stuff. There's cool stuff going on in the diocese. And so he's starting this round of parish visits now to come and talk about the synod and see how places are, yeah, trying to implement. Yeah, so it was a night. He see, so he had the set, uh, the ten fifteen mass, and then the twelve fifteen Spanish mass, and then like uh, we had lunch with him, and he had a meeting with all the different like committees and stuff like that around here. I thought it was very, very positive. Um, yeah, he is he is the man. But it's uh, I remember when I ran a half marathon. This is another little piece of Bishop Pepperaki advice that came through big for me. Which is, a half marathon is a whole another animal than a full marathon. But he said that, like, whenever you're um, doing your long runs and you have like you're you're you have like a a pretty good stretch to go, but you're not you know like you're way into it at that point. He said just put a little peppermint like in your pocket and like throw that peppermint in your mouth and for whatever reason it it's like I don't know I did it it was awesome. So <laughs> when you do those long runs, Matt's like when you do that 18 miler. At mile like fifteen, <clears throat> just take a little peppermint and pop that thing, man. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Why was that helpful? I have no idea. I have no idea. It just—I don't know, like the science behind it or anything hmm. like that. But it's just like kind of refreshing um, when when you're running. And you know, I think I did it like mile ten or something hmm. like that. Yeah. Dude, that's good. even th- dude. Thirteen miles is super impressive. Gosh. It's, it's a long ways. It is a dude, long ways. Yeah. I it just distracts you. Like when I'm running, I'm looking for anything. Dude. Yeah. I, yeah. You're just it's, you're just yeah. out there, man. In the middle and I'm just running on whatever road I can find and what do you do? Do you put it in your phone and then like track um, your run and then you see how far you went and then turn around when it's halfway? So my my brother and his wife are awesome and and she runs pretty intensely and they got me a garmin wristwatch um nice. that's a gps and and clocks all that stuff specifically for training and running they got me that for ordination it's been super awesome so i just click that thing on and it tells exactly how fast i'm going and how far i've run and <clears throat> it's awesome but usually some- i'll pray i'm sorry no, no no go ahead go ahead well i'll just i'll just pray rosaries and I'll usually pray too, depending on how long the run is. And the first one is much more intentional, like really calling faces to mind. And um, you got you got a lot of lot to offer up <laughs> while you're running there. Um, yeah, and then usually right towards the end, like the last four miles, I'll start another one and just kind of zip through it. But part of that, I mean, honestly, of course, it's like to pray and to be with Our Lady and all that. But it's also it keeps my mind busy mm-hmm. and. If I'm thinking about praying, like, okay, what Hail Mary am I on? I'm counting my fingers, 
it's keeping me distracted. So I'm focusing on that instead of other things. And, um, yeah, yeah, I remember I did have a moment. (laughs) It was in the first really long run and it was in between my first rosary and my second where I was running for maybe 30 minutes and wasn't like, wasn't praying anything in particular and was just kind of realized my brain was in no man's land. It was just in like spaceville and I was thinking about nothing. The dark web. Yeah, dude, it was in, <laughs> I have no idea. It was one of those things where it's like, wait, what have I, what am I even thinking about? And I had, I had the thought, the words, it was like the most incoherent, stupid thing ever. But I just said like, maybe I should think about stuff. Like maybe this is a great opportunity to actually <laughs> put my mind to use instead of just brainlessly running around <laughs> this whole place. So then I used the next 30 minutes to like think about, you know, a specific art. I wanted to write an article about all this business in the church. Hmm. Um, but, but your mind is just like in la la land. So it's grasping for anything, you know? So yeah, yeah I could see how true. a peppermint, I could see how a peppermint would be super. That reminds helpful. me of this, this story that I don't know. I love this. It's kind of a change of subject, but, uh, but my brother loves to tell it of when our nephew <clears throat> Johnson juice box, you know, was little and he was probably like two or three or something. And he was, I think we were up at my sister's and he was laying in bed and my brother, um, walked in and he thought that he was like upset about something. So he's like, Hey John, man, what's wrong? And I was like, Oh, nothing. And so he, at that point he thinks like something is kind of upset him. So he gets down on a knee and he's like, Hey buddy, like what's, what's up? Are you tired or what's happening? He goes, no, I'm just thinking. And, uh, and Ross goes, <laughs> Ross goes, Oh yeah. What you thinking about? And John, like just in total seriousness, he goes, Oh, circles. <laughs> 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 and he was just like mesmerized by circles. Oh, anyway, awesome. and so like, <laughs> that reminds me of a story about my nephew. Where uh, I can't remember why he was in trouble, but he had done something and he was getting a very stern talking to from my brother. And like he was trying a little shock and awe, like trying to really get his attention because it was some repetitive behavior that he wanted to curb. And uh, little Ethan was kind of, you know, sitting on the bed and looking down at his feet and taking in this lecture. And my brother finishes up and sternly asks, do you have any questions? Is that clear? Oh, and he no. goes, yes. Okay, what? He goes, what do rhinoceroses eat? <laughs> <laughs> and my brother just goes, grass, and then walks out of the room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do rhinoceroses eat? I'm sure he left quickly so as not to laugh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, hey, Connor, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that... Uh, you got all that business going on, just oh, just a normal towards despair and desolation in prayer. It's never fun. I think it's just the normal uh, ebbs and flows of the spiritual life, and you know the constant needing to go back to the fundamentals. Like that thought was it wasn't it didn't make all the bad stuff go away, but that recognition that anytime my thoughts go primarily to the past or the future. I feel bad. Mm. And when I'm living in the what's going on now, 
I'm, I feel God at work, you know? So that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Things are never the same. How's the uh, parish life going, Rob? It's great, man. I like it a lot. Um, yeah, the, you know, in some ways it's, I don't know, I've been here a few months, so I feel like, like looking back over my first month, um, you know, it was a pretty big, like, victory in my life when, like, I knew where Main Street was in town and stuff like that. You know, it's just like, where am I? Where am I going every day? Kind of like Bishop Barron's whole thing of the Waze app mm-hmm. of, like, you just plug it in and you go where you're supposed to go. Um, but the people here have been, yeah, like really, really awesome. And so I like it a lot. It's interesting being here and the chaplain at the university. Like, I mean, both have been just awesome. And But it's, just, it's different. Um, so in some ways, it's kind of nice to have them both. Some days I wish, like, you know, I was, like, at one place as opposed to both but i mean no complaints at at all both have been um very very good and it's just like gosh man it's so dang life-giving to um to be a priest and i think especially at this parish i was talking to somebody today what is i don't know i i it, I, it hit me the other day i guess is that nothing that i have been asked to do here has been because, like, no one else wanted to do it. But it's just been, like, completely focused on, like, oh, we need a priest for this. Can you be there? Can you be here? Um, et cetera. So that's just been super cool. Anyway, um, yeah, I've loved the people. It's good. It's really good. Any super intense stuff happen yet? What do you mean? Oh, you know... Hospital death. Oh, I see. Young people. I see. Um, no, I mean, you know, there's been a couple like, you know, anointing people definitely like on, you know, they're in their last kind of hours and and everything like that. But no, nothing too like. Thank God. I mean, nothing too like dramatic as as in terms of like a you know, a huge like accident or, you know, anything like, like that. Um, no, I guess not, not that I can oh, praise God. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been good. It's been really good. Um, I remember w- one of the early things that I had to deal with that rocked my world was a family in the parish that I knew really well. Kids were in our school. One of the uncles, um, was an Evidently a suicide, jumping off the bridge, but it was winter time, and they never found him, and uh, it was like this whole no closure thing, and I went over to the house, and we were all gathered there, and I mean, I'm talking like 25 people in this house of all ages, and just a despair in the the room, Mm. and they looked, they literally looked at me, and the old man, the dad, looks at me and he's like, Padre, like say something, <laughs> like mm. make this better, you know? Yeah. And I can't remember what I said, but I know it, 
was lame. <laughs> and that, that was one of those moments where you realize what people are looking for in the priest and how inadequate you are to yeah. to give what, what they want. And that, it, I mean, it ended up being kind of a, you know, as much of a resolution as you could to that whole situation. Yeah. But a lot of it is... Um, is feeling sorrow with people sure is all you can really think, offer well i just actually it's funny Metz. i caught that you said you were did you end up writing anything like you were talking about what's what's, what's going no on? no so it's funny because i had a very similar desire and i had a couple hours one day and i just wrote because i realized i had been a priest for like 104 days or something like that so i just wrote like a reflection on my first 100 days of priesthood you know and it was uh that was very cool just to yeah kind of like recount and revisit like all these wonderful experiences and then all i don't know you know i just and i talked about in it like just the all the crappy stuff in the news vegano and um the mccarrick stuff and then the pennsylvania report and and all that and i guess yeah and, and that hasn't been like you know, just like rampantly present in the in the parish. I mean, I think it's on people's minds, and and actually the whole diocese read Bishop Peprocki's homily last weekend, which I thought addressed it and was like very good. But it's still obviously, I mean, from what we've talked about, it's been on my mind and heart a lot. And uh, my mom was actually telling me like she got asked by a lady that uh, you know like knew I was a priest, and you know asked my mom. Like, whoa, was it like, was it like that when Rob was in seminary, you know? And, uh, and, you know, and she did great of like saying no, but like, you know, trying to kind of like reach out to the lady in her own, in her own right as well. Um, but, uh, it was just interesting of like, even in, yeah, like the very hard moments, I think even in ways like we oftentimes don't see is, it, what's sinking in for me is like as a priest, you stand in the person of Christ in persona Christi, like all the time, n- not based on perception of it, if that makes sense. And it's like that's just a that's an actual reality um, that is just that's just present anyway. That's and I and I know I, I just never thought about it in in those terms of like I'm not just in persona Christi when like people realize that a priest is standing in persona Christi. You're in persona Christi all the time um, by your ordination. Um, and so I guess that was, that was just kind of powerful to, to think about that. It's in like, I don't know, just the, like the hard moments as well, that that's still true. Hmm. Yeah. Like it's just simply the case. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, dude, it's a huge, it's an unbelievable gift. Um, mm-hmm. But then, I mean, also like thinking about that, it's an unbelievable responsibility as well. And like, sure, just how much weight of goodness and grace there is there, and just like weight of responsibility that that comes along with that. Um, yeah, I always think that maybe we've talked about it on the podcast before, but the thing that caused that reality to mind the most and maybe the most challenging is when people kiss 
your hands. They, they kiss the hands of the priest because they're, they want to kiss the hands of Jesus. That's where we've been marked and anointed, um, where his wounds would have been and where his wounds are. Uh, and then like, I think like, dude, <laughs> these hands are just like everybody else. But then also like, how am I using these hands? You know, if, if these people were to know what I do with these hands, like, would they still kiss them? And it's just this call to, yeah, live in the reality that other people see that I don't always see it. And yet it is like you said, and yet it, like, it is the case, you know? So, I mean, Connor, to your homily at my, my first mass, um, it's not something that you always see, but it's something that you, you do live into this priesthood a little bit more and more. Um, and actually, it has been kind of tough coming back to to seminary. Like, I don't really ever hear confessions, and um, I love celebrating the mass. But I I don't I, I do a lot of studies. You know, like I'm not in a parish, and I mean, people call me father around here, but I'm mostly with my buddies, and they call me Mike. And there's just not a lot of external things that call to mind the reality of the priesthood all the time. Um, and yet, like you said, it it still is. It still is. Um, it's been a huge grace for me last week. I don't know what happened, but I had heard a lot of people up here say it, but that it's with all the business that's going on in the news with the church, with Vigano and McCarrick, that there just came a point where I said, okay, Lord, I'm very sad about this. I'm very angry about this. And yet, like, I know you are calling me to be here and to, live in your presence and to study as an STL student and to be your priest. And so as much as these things hurt me and make me mad and sad, like I just can't sit in that anymore and I can't see my days from that place anymore. Like it's still there and I'm still going to acknowledge it and talk to you about it. But I want to, I want to totally give myself to these studies that I have in front of me and to this mission that you've given me. And it was a real grace not to put that behind me, but to kind of put it in its right order so that I wasn't, my thoughts weren't totally dominated by the news and by just kind of concern and worry for the church. But like, I know what I can do right here and right now. And it actually added a lot of intensity and meaning to what I'm doing that like, okay, Lord, if I really believe this, if I really believe that I'm supposed to help your kingdom and serve you by being a student and like, and I'm going to profess that, well then I got to be a, a real deal student. And like, I have to read or else these are, this, I'm just paying lip service here. Mm-hmm. And so if I really do believe that, then like every moment of this day is you intended for me to be here and to live as a priest and to have this conversation in the refectory with this new seminarian or to celebrate mass over the liturgical institute and, um, and then all, yeah, it was just a, a big switch. Um, yeah, change in mentality, but I think also a change in like where I was approaching the day from where I was approaching my life from was no longer from this place of like obsessive sadness and anger, but rightly ordering that in my own heart and in my own life. And then saying like, okay, each of these things, if I really am going to be the saint that you call me to, I want to write this paper like to the best of my ability that it's not just a paper anymore, but that's actually a means for my sanctification. And I don't know why that happened, 
but I just chose to do that. And the Lord has, has given me a lot of grace with it. Um, yeah, I don't know why I started talking about that, Rob. You, you were saying something that kind of just put no, my mind on that. That's good. That's how, I mean, that sounds awesome. Yeah, Man. I, I think I see the connection. I mean, it's just that, that the evil stuff is transfixing and, um, and discouraging. I, there's two poles to it. There's the discouraging, uh, distressing, upsetting, but then there's also the self-righteous indignation piece as well, you know? And I guess what both... And what do you mean by that? Sorry. Well, the self-righteous indignation is like me saying like, how disgusting, you know, that the, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. could do this or act like this or lie about this. Even if it's, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, But it's still really true that God is merciful and we're all sinners. And this is just, uh, I don't know, it's it's idol smashing. And that's always distressing. I think God is just like detaching us from the temporal, the worldly, the passing. And you have, have to, I've said this a million times, a million different ways, but to be just attached to God, it's, it's really hard. And, uh, it's like that run, dude. It's like, you have to let it hurt, um, in order to make any progress or in order to, uh, get it at the goal. Um, that's always sounds like semi-Pelagian that we're, we, yeah, we got to do it. We got to train ourselves. But I mean, the pain is not, really from pushing yourself it's from letting yourself be wounded um you know that i mean some of the things like for instance you know someday my loved ones will die and you just think about that and it just makes you really sad um that someday you're gonna have to you're just gonna live in a world that doesn't have them in it anymore and then you know someday you'll die and you, you get to go to heaven hopefully um, but it's like, I always think of Cardinal George at the end of his life when he came up to Mundelein and he was talking about horizons in life, how he was, always had some horizon he was looking over, um, in his life, like I'll be a priest, uh, you know, and then he was a, a professor and then he was a kind of superior in his religious order. Then he was a bishop, then he was a bishop of a different place. Then he was an archbishop and a cardinal and he had these projects and plans and and stuff and he moved from horizon to horizon and the final horizon was death. And, um, you look at that and that that's eternal. And what, uh, what's scary is like losing, losing that memento mori and losing the point of it all in, uh, getting caught in the weeds. Because if there's one thing that's for sure, it's that all of this will just pass like every other scandal, like every other thing that really gets relegated to church history and like becomes another thing that people lean on and say, look at how bad the church has been. If it's still around, it must be the real church, you know, but when you're actually in it, it really sucks, you know? Um, and when you really let it hurt in the way that it's like, I'm part of that, (laughs) you know, I'm a priest. I'm, I'm not that great. You know, I mean, I'm not that bad either, but, uh, who am I 
you know, to stand here and be like, this is reprehensible and blah, blah, blah. And it is. And, it, you know, good people need to stand up and, and say something to help God purify the church. But um, the purification of your own heart is is first and foremost. And it's like, that's always hard. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget a friend who said when his a, a good friend of his died uh, tragically in an accident, he said, like, it was the first thing in his life that made him a little less attached to being alive in this world. You know, that it was just this one thing, one person that he loved that was now gone. And just think about, think about all the suffering that's ahead of us, all the sacrifices that we'll be, we'll be called on to make in life. And you know, staring down the face of a sacrifice that, um, I have to do this because if I don't, I'll regret it. If I don't, I'm just like clinging to my life and that's fruitless and pointless. I need to let go in order for God to let me grow and let, let the kingdom come. But, uh, that doesn't make it less painful. I think about like the guys, there's two priests right now going to be ordained auxiliary bishops in like a week or a week and a half. I think would I, would I want to become an auxiliary bishop in a moment like this? Like these guys are just entering um, a very difficult situation, inheriting a very difficult, uh, situation. So I don't know that stuff. That's what I mean is like, that can get you down and until you just like zero in on <clears throat> what am I called to do right now, <clears throat> which is be faithful to the spirit of God. That's always faithful to me, period. Well, and that's also like, I thought of the, and I think we've talked about a lot of this stuff on the cast before, which was good, but the, uh, and I think we have this point too, of the, is it like the horse and his boy by C.S. Lewis? And he talks about, um, like, is the great line like he only tells you your own story? Right. Have we talked about that. Yeah, we did years ago. And that's so. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I don't know. That just is kind of relentlessly true. I think in my experience of life as as well of something like that of like I'm the same way. Like those guys that are going to be auxiliary bishops today, I can't even fathom it. You know, but it's like, I don't know, they seem able to um, to bear it, you know, and I don't know those guys, but I mean, they seem to be approaching it joyfully and everything. But it is, man, it's just getting back to those basics. Well, hey, you know, one of those guys, Father Hicks. Oh, OK. Is it that set then that's yeah, being ordained? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, Father Hicks. And then one of the guys who gave <clears throat> the talk to us last year on prison ministry. Yeah. I think is also he was my very key mentor of mine in seminary. He was my internship pastor and continues to be. I'm in his book club. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you remember that talk, Rob? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, he was great. Hey, so question for you, Rob. Was there um, were there like any big takeaways from your reflections on priesthood or was there a thread that ran through that or um, I mean, what were your takeaways from the first um 100 days yeah was just honest it was just kind of that of like um you stand in persona christi um like every breath you take and it's not it's not just when people see that or like when people have an experience that they can tell you about later you know um it's all of it you know it's all like and I guess that's just, and maybe it's like, 
again, not to be to sound like vague or cliche or anything like that, but um, I don't know, just like after reflecting on it a little bit, it's like just very real confidence that like this is the like world and the church that God has called me into to be a priest um, today. And there's, and it just kind of like, if you want to go back to the analogy thing that's from running, it's like, you know, one, one step ahead, like if, if crazy stuff's going on around you on a run, like your body is screaming for you to stop. It's just like one foot in front of, um, the other. And, um, so I don't know, it's just kind of like sitting with all that. It's certainly, there was no like big grand answer or like mega takeaway. Um, but just being able to kind of like say from my heart, it's like, no, I really, um, feel even stronger today than the day I was ordained. Um, that like, this is the world and this is the church that God called me to be a priest in. Um, but like he, with that call, he also, I believe like guided me to be assigned to St. Boniface Parish in Edwardsville and SIUE, you know? Um, and if you stay, if you stay in that, then I don't know, it's just been really like really joyful. I mean, with, in like, again, tons of like mourning and lamenting and just like the sin that we've read about in, in the church and like a desire for like, if more stuff needs to come to light, let it, you know? And, um, you know, nothing, not, no, no, nothing else in the shadows. I mean, I hope that's always the hope, you know, but, uh, um, so I don't know. I mean, that's long winded, but that was it. It was just nice to do it, I guess, you know, um, and just kind of like put it down on paper just for myself, really. I mean, that was it. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm glad you guys are writing. I had the same instinct when I first got ordained. It was like, there's something in me that I would have ideas like that and be like, I need to get this out and just write it down. I didn't always do it, but, um, yeah. What was I, your, if, if you don't mind, Mike, what was your kind of thoughts on well, this? So, yeah. So this was a while back. I, I mean, a while back that's, that that's millennial speak for two weeks old in the news. <laughs> um, yeah. that's absurd. But at the time, yeah, I mean, it it was right after all the Vegano stuff came out and everyone was speculating very, very early. And um, it started to just kind of be revealed that there are structures in the church that promote uh, evil, essentially. And that was like blowing my mind. And I was trying to think of um, like how how can we how can we deal with this? How can we fix this? And obviously the answer is the Lord. The Lord is the one that has to come in and fix it. But was thinking like, okay, you could put a bishop's committee together and try and figure that out and have them investigate the situation. But like, that's part of the problem. Right. It's like the, the bishops are the problem, you know? And so I wanted to write an article. I was just kind of like spinning in that reality of like, oh my goodness, like we have a system that, it polices itself and be in the system is broken. It's, it's like having corrupt police. It's like the people who are supposed to protect us are the people who are harming us. And I, I don't want to totally generalize everybody or like say all bishops or anything like that. 
but it was just kind of seeing like, oh, it, the system that's meant to protect is actually the thing that's hurting. And so we need to figure out um, like how, how do you actually with the system fix the system, you know, like just, just looking into that problem. And the title of the article that I was going to write, maybe I still will, I don't know, was um, Haiti as an image for the church. Mm. And the reason that that came to mind was, um, it was just kind of based on the thought that I think the church is so poor right now, so broken, that it can't even fix itself. And that was coming from our experience in Haiti when... I mean, you read books and look at statistics of how much money has been given to Haiti. It's something like it's north of two billion dollars of international fundraising, international benefactors, folks who are trying to fix the disasters that occurred in 2010 and 2014. And I'm telling you, I was just down there, okay, in December, and I have no idea where that money has been. I, I don't know where the money went. I don't know. Um, what it was put to use for, but it certainly was not for the people of Haiti. I can tell you that. And I remember being down there and thinking, maybe I even said it to you, Rob, like, I don't even think there is structures in place here that if you tried to give them money, like, I don't think they could actually use it to help themselves so that the country is so poor and broken that like they can't, they can't even do anything with the resources that they're given. And I, I, I think a lot of those resources were also kind of scoundreled away by, by people who were, were greedy and, and used people's charity to make a lot of money. Um, but it reminded me of, yeah, of Haiti, of like it's such, and that's pretty doom and gloom, despairish, but just realizing like you, you need an outside help that's going to come in and actually put something in place that allows for real change to occur, but that the system is so poor in and of itself that it's actually not capable of even receiving resources to even fix itself. And like the gospel analogy that I was going to include in it would be the, the um, leper at the pools of Bethesda. Um, and Jesus comes up and asks him if he wants to be healed. And he's like, yeah, look, I've tried to get in these pools. I think it's the pools of Bethesda, right? I think and he, I have some, and, I have a recollection that it's a paralytic at the pool of Siloam. Siloam? Maybe it's in Maybe Bethesda. Maybe it's both. I don't know. It's in the Gospel of John. I was reading it. But um, but, but he's he, like, yeah, I would love, every time that I try to get up and, and get there to be healed, like because I'm ill, essentially, I, I don't get there in time. And then the somebody else gets in or gets full or the pools stop. And so essentially... I'm too sick to help myself. And so Jesus has to step in and he's the one who fixes it and, and brings a solution to it. But, but that was all essentially just to give an image to articulate this feeling of like, I don't know if we can do this on our own. And we need, we need help from somebody. We need a Simon of Cyrene to come in and help us carry this cross because we're too poor to even, to even help ourselves. Like we have too much going on. And that may be an overreaction, but I think it was an image to articulate sort of what I was feeling because I had never thought I had, I was very scandalized by the fact that the people who are meant to protect and to guide and to, 
defend the church and to put people in place who were going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and listen to him to lead, that they were doing the opposite of that. And that there was like this aim towards evil. If, if these things are true, that that is the antithesis of why the church exists. And to think that there are legitimate structures in place that promote people who are going to do that was heartbreaking, man. Especially like being a young guy, you give yourself to your bride, the church, you know, and like my lady, my bride that I just gave myself to is, is unfaithful and has a lot going on, you know? So that was my article that I was pondering about and probably running to try and get a lot of that, uh, emotive energy out as well. Emotional energy. Yeah. No, I wasn't going to, and I guess like all my, the stuff I wrote was much more on, yeah, it's, that was really beautiful, but just like how I have like more, I don't know. It's just a beautiful image of the church. I hadn't thought about it in those terms of like, it was more just about like what was going on in me more than like an image of the church. Um, but anyway, I, I don't know. The, I Kind of probably the biggest grace of the last couple of weeks. And this is a, this involves like effective movements, Bisque, like the Martians. So don't, don't go attack dog. Okay. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, uh, just to forewarn you. And just to forewarn uh, you, I do have a uh, to get over to Newman soon. Okay, okay. Anyway, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my family came down. It was great. Um, actually, juice box again. Him and I were um, over at the grade school in the in the parking lot playing wiffle ball, and he had brought his own bat and ball, so I was throwing him pitches. And he hit a nice line drive, and it was like just an incredible angle. And it went in like this pipe thing at the school. And I thought this thing was like gone forever. And you couldn't do it in a million tries, right? And so he gets upset and he's kind of tired anyway, but he like gets upset because, you know, he lost his ball. And I'm like, I don't think we can get it, man. And then it turns out he had like gotten that ball and bat for his birthday and everything. And anyway, I told him I would try to get it if I could. And so they, you know, they took off the next day and he had honestly probably forgotten about it. I don't know. Um, but he just like really stayed with me. And I was like, I have to get this ball for him. And so it took me pretty much like a week of scheming and like scoping it out. And then I had to get like my dad's good ladder, a tent pole, a paper plate <laughs> and duct tape. And it was like straight up the sandlot style to get this thing <laughs> out of it but i did it i did it and i got it which i was so pumped about and i was like just kind of like excited and joyful at this it, it was just like okay i need to actually like probably take that into a little bit of prayer time you know and it just brought me back to this memory when i was little uh i was probably like gosh five or six or something and my hometown Iliopolis used to have like a summer celebration every year of just like a beer tent and some carnival rides and whatever. And it was after my grandpa had had his stroke. So maybe I was like eight or nine or something. Um, but anyway, so we were up there and I won like, I don't know, at some game, I won like a little stuffed animal. I think it was a gorilla. And then I don't know why. I don't know how I even remember it. I hadn't thought about this for probably 15 years. 
And I remember um, like I traded it for like a picture or I don't know, something dumb like that. And we get back, my mom and dad um, stay up there to hang out. And me and my brother are at my grandma and grandpa's house. And um, I got like really upset because I, you know, regretted like trading, you know, this stuffed animal for like whatever I had gotten. And it was just like it was impossible to get back. You know, it's like who knows where it is, all that stuff. And I just I still remember this It's like my grandpa who um, was like not in great health at the time. Like he just had a stroke and but he just like took me really, really seriously. And he wanted to do like everything in his power to try to get me that little like gorilla stuffed animal back. And it was like, man, I don't know. It's just this like really cool image of like an experience of God, the father's love. And, and so like kind of through all of that, like what started going after in a kind of fun, like Sandlot style way of getting a wiffle ball back for my nephew, kind of triggering all this stuff in me, just to be able to like relate that experience and kind of give it to God of my grandpa and just realizing both like all the little stuff that's like bothered us with the news, all the like, and everything like God just takes very seriously in our hearts, but then also like trying to be a spiritual father as a priest, like the little stuff really matters, hmm. like how we do it and like how we try to like give time to people after mass and like, you know, just take a little bit of time with the grade school kids here and stuff like that. Um, and like, I think especially as priests, like, that stuff like really makes a difference in how people like see God way down the line in their life. Um, so miss everything else going on, I guess that was kind of like maybe the driving point of like the opportunity to reflect on a hundred days of priesthood for me is like the little things like really, really matter. That's really good, Rob. Yeah, dude, that's, that's very beautiful. Very, very beautiful. Very good. Very good. Very good. Yes, yes. Three dogs yeah. north is an attempt Dude, to objectify. <clears throat> hey, he's but, still... We, um, none of us, like all three of us, like just don't forget that, I guess. Like yeah. all the crap going around and, and just like... That's very good. That's very helpful. No, being a priest is tough, man. Like it's been beautiful. It's been an awesome 110 days or whatever it's been. But like... There's like hard work involved in being a priest, you know, yeah. and um, little stuff matters. Yeah, dude. And just to kind of relate that to the image of Haiti as an image of the church is like even amidst uh, like obviously the social terror that was that place. Just I mean, the whole everything about it, just how challenging it was and how much pain and suffering and yeah, just like really societal sin was present. It was also the place where I've probably had the most real encounter with disciples and the risen Jesus. Um, That like, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to at the same time as well. That, yeah, even in the midst of a lot of those challenges and yeah, I mean, whatever's going on in the church is like the father is there that committed disciples are bringing real deal light yeah, I'm blown away by people. The the faithful are ridiculous, man. 
they are so faithful and yeah, it's inspiring. It's tough, but it's, it is, it is good. Well guys, thank you for this. I need to get to work and do the little things now. Do it, man. But you have, hey, you've bolstered let's go my save spirits. the world. Let's do it. Hey, Connor. Yeah. Let's go save the world. That reminds <laughs> me of that movie, Son of this, God. That that's trailer. what it's from. <laughs> I thought he said, let's change the world. <clears throat> doesn't he say, doesn't he reach his hand down to Peter? And he goes, follow me. Because where are we going? And Jesus says, to change the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the right response to that is laughter. <laughs> he never said that. <laughs> Maybe he should have. I think he said something about dying. No, 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 no. No, oh, it's, no he was an activist. He was, he was a world changer, dude. He was an agent of change. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, this was good. Love you, dudes. Same. Same. You're saying that very consistently. Mm-hmm. It's because it's true. Hey, thanks, man. Hey, I hope I get to come Whoa. come down there and see you guys. See us guys? Yeah, 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 yeah. You and Jamie. Oh, I thought you meant me and mm. Rob. Oh, well, I mean, same. <laughs> Dude, we should do a meetup day. A meetup day, yeah. A live in person in Living Color podcast. Yeah, with or- batting cages and cigars. Dude. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for real, I got to go. Let's do that, though. I mean, hey, have a good night. Uh, I hope the, the uh, well, the Bears have more Georgia players, so I do hope that they win. Sorry, Rob, you don't care. All right, well, peace out. I bet both teams have a lot of Illini players. <laughs> 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 oh, hang on, my doorbell just rang. I gotta go too. All right, All right see you guys. See ya. Love you. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisque, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.